0: Good morning. Two things are going through your mind right now. One, you're thinking, well, Pastor Greg's kind of early, so that either means he's going to preach really, really long, you're getting a little nervous, or you think you're going to get out early. Uh, Neither is true. So relax, I'm going to preach. Then as a response to the content of the morning, we're going to just spend some time in worshiping God through song. So they're going to be back. I'm going to preach. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. For those that are visiting, we have been dealing with leadership principles from the perspective of Nehemiah. Now, I need to say this because some people say, well, I'm really not in a leadership position or I'm not a leader. So how is this relevant to me? All of us. Every single one of us find ourselves in positions where we have to make the choice to lead. It may be in your home as parents, it may be with friends when they're making unhealthy choices that you have to say, Okay, you know, I'm going to take the lead. No, I'm not going to do this. It could be watching a movie where you might get up and leave, it could be someone's being bullied, and you say, You know what? We're just not going to go there. And you're going to take a stand and defend someone who's defenseless. So this whole idea of leadership dynamic really applies to us all. And Nehemiah's vision, actually it was God's vision, was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. To restore their worship. And when I say restore their worship, it's really about restoring their identity as the people of God, as the nation of Israel. We've been looking at enemies both from the outside, people around, from the inside in terms of issues in their own hearts, questions and disappointment, despair they had, but also insiders, people part of their families and part of their system, their own people that really opposed and fought against this rebuilding of the wall. Now, when you look at enemies today in our culture... I think there's three critical issues we face. The first is what I call the demolition of truth. If you haven't noticed, right and wrong are a matter of opinion. There are no core virtues. Preference and opinions rule the day. And what's happened is we've had an increase in tribes. I heard one sociologist say this, that people now gather people around them that they hate or disagree with. So if we hate this person, we form a group. If we hate this issue, we form a group. Rather than, and think about the church. The church should be built around what? Who and what we love. We're called to love Jesus. We're called to love his people. We're called to love this world. There's a demolition of authority. We do not acknowledge or respect authority anymore. We pick and choose who we think should or should not receive respect, and it's based on our ideology. And we live like it's okay to disrespect some people, not others. And we see this almost every single election in this nation. If our person doesn't get in, what happens? It opens the doors for disrespect. And I have to admit, I've been guilty of this, get caught up in the rhetoric, but it's wrong. And so I'm telling you, I'm committed to do better at that. It's a violation of the kingdom of God. According to scripture, it says everyone is created in the image of who? God. By the way, I learned something a week and a half ago about myself. Uh, I found out that I'm a hollerback preacher. You know what a hollerback preacher is? You're allowed to say amen. You're allowed to encourage me that way. You're allowed to respond. Just say something worthwhile. Don't say something not worthwhile. There you go, that's good. There's also demolition of our thinking. Facts and truth no longer matter. We create our own version of how things ought to be and we cling to the narrative, to the story that suits us. And it's easier today to let other people think for us. Now let me illustrate. And by this illustration, I'm not commenting on whether he should have or should not have, okay? That's not the point of this illustration. It just illustrates the above three things, the demolition of truth, demolition of authority, and demolition of thinking. If you haven't heard, last Sunday, Mike, our vice president, Mike Pence, walked out of a football game between the Colts and the 49ers when some player took a knee. He simply stated, I left because they disrespected the flag. Instead of reporting the facts, the facts, the news media went to intent. All week long, they've been calling us a political stunt. They've been saying, well, you know, it cost the taxpayers over $200,000 for him to do that. They called him a racist. They talked about systematic oppression. And the social media lit up like a Christmas tree on both sides of the equation. The truth is what? He walked out of the football game because some players took a knee. His words, not mine. Everything else reported is speculation stated as facts. And you see the disrespect given to his position as vice president. And people then simply react. And they don't think to what is being said. Now, Nehemiah faced all three of these enemies. People reacting on emotions rather than thinking and believing. Disrespecting the authority of God. That being set aside. The truth about God and who they were. Was taking a back seat. And in all his efforts to rebuild and restore, he faced these three demons. And think about it Nehemiah was trying to do something good, it was a benefit for Israel. Now, personally, he could have lived his days out in the palace of the king, he could have had a really nice lifestyle. But God called, he responded. And ever since he showed up, we see this uphill battle to restore Israel. But the work continues in spite of the problems faced. And the further along the project we got, the greater the pressure increases from the enemies on the outside. Now, in chapter 6, we see four strategies to get Nehemiah and Israel to quit. They are just not backing off. Here's the first. They said, meet us halfway and we'll help you. It's a strategy of compromise. Come on, you give a little, we give a little. Look at the first four verses of Nehemiah chapter 6. Meet us halfway and we'll help you. In verse 1, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach, left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sam ballant and Geshem sent to me saying, come meet us together at this place I'm not going to try to pronounce. You got it. In the plan of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messages to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. Now, this meeting place in the Valley of Ono, it was halfway between Jerusalem and Samaria. And what they were suggesting is, listen, we'll meet you halfway. Okay, the wall's up. You're setting the gates in place. Let's make plans to work together. Cooperation is a good thing. Sometimes. And when you are pushing forward... In terms of God's calling and mission, we all need wisdom. We need wisdom for the right people. We need wisdom for the right time. And we need wisdom for the right purpose. Somebody will always come along and suggest, meet us halfway and try to dilute what God is doing. Now, Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You can turn with me or just follow on the screen. But listen to what Paul says. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. So you get the picture here. There's some people not preaching Christ, but they say, well, they're doing the same thing Paul's doing. We're all in this together. Let's just join one big team. And Paul says, no. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen. Disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deed. So he's not talking about watered down preachers. He's talking about people who claim something that's not true. He's simply saying, you know what? I'm going to let God deal with it, but I'm not going to join with them, I'm not going to compromise. And I loved it when Nehemiah in his verses said this Listen, the greatness of God's work is at stake. Why should I come down? And he was not distracted and he was not detoured. And he did that because he was discerning and he was determined. And they were equally determined because four times they suggested we meet, and four times Nehemiah gave the answer. But that wasn't enough. Here was the second strategy. We will tell everyone the truth about you. We call that slander. Now look at the next verses, verses 5 through 9. We're going to tell the truth about you. After four times, they sent this fifth letter that was open. And we're going to read about it. In the same way, Sam Ballop for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. By the way, an open letter to a government official was very Disrespectful. But here was the suggestion. Listen, what's in this letter? We're going to show it to everybody. We're going to show it to the king back in Cyrus, in Persia. In it, it was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it. Don't you like it when people sign on to something that's not true? This is their version of social media, by the way, open letters. That you the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. According to these reports, you wish to become their king. So you know what's happening here? They're stating facts. They're rebuilding the wall, but they're putting intent that wasn't true. You also have set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports and come and let us take counsel together. So he says, listen. We got this open letter. We got some people to verify. We got Geshem over here who says, you know what? You really want to be king. You're going to rebel against Persia. And uh, so come down and talk now. Otherwise, we're going to tell everyone the truth about you. In verse 8, then I sent to him saying, no such things you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own minds. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking... Their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. There's one of those short prayers. You know, pray without ceasing. I mean, he knew the possible consequence. He knew that when you slander, it really depends on who is willing to believe or not to believe this information. He knew what could happen. This should remind us of the accusation held against Christ. Made by his own People. He wanted to be king. He wanted to incite a rebellion against Rome. And you know, it's a predictable tactic, isn't it? You undermine someone's reputation and authority. It's the old game of, listen, we're going to make you guilty of something, and you have to prove your innocence. That's what slander and gossip does. And I got to tell you, that social media has thrown gasoline on the fire. When you start talking about tweets and posting and blogging and texting and other things I don't even know how to do, it's all there, isn't it? Like someone said, smart devices make us really stupid. (laughs) Can I get an amen on that one? Gossip has been called the silent assassination of culture. That's what gossip and slander are. It destroys trust. It slaughters credibility. It destroys a healthy culture. It is divisive. And as kingdom of God citizens, as followers of Jesus, we should not participate in gossip, nor should we tolerate it from others. Easiest way to stop a gossip is not to listen. And that's where we have to take the lead. I was part of a church church and I was doing some consulting work for them, and they had one staff they had to let go. Issues of work, issues of character, and just not doing their job. I mean, it was just kind of comprehensive. When this person was let go, he posted in blogged some very detrimental accusations against the pastor and the leadership board, stating some pretty terrible things. It created rumors and accusations about the leadership board, And people left. Three years later, this person came clean and apologized in another blog for doing what he did. But you know, the damage was done, wasn't it? Distrust was created, and people chose sides. I say all this because when this comes our way today, and it's something that seems to be increasing in our culture... We need a plan to handle false accusations, vicious letters, gossip, unfounded rumors. I think we used just to pretend they would go away, but they don't. And in our day, I've seen people lose their careers over this kind of thing. Even when it has been proven false, even when all the evidence came out, some still sit back and say, well, you know, there has to be some truth there. And they hang on to that. It just so so much distrust and negativity in someone's mind. If that wasn't enough, there's a third strategy. Third strategy stated this way. Come with us and we'll protect you. So they tried to get him to meet halfway. They said, you know, we're going to start this slander and rumor mill. And if you don't meet us halfway, here's what's going to happen. And now they suggest, listen, you know and we know that people are going to come against you. And when they do, why don't you meet us here and we're going to, we're, we'll have your back. Now, of course, they knew about Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem wouldn't do that. So they sent some other people in. Look at verse 10. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah and the son of Mechtebol, who were confined to his home, he said... Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. And they're coming to kill you by nights. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. By the way, what you're going to find out is that what they were suggesting him to do was a violation of the law. It would be sinning. So they were trying to get him to do something that was sin. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Ballot had hired him. So we're talking about hired guns, hired preachers, hired prophets to do their work. For this purpose he was hired, that they should be afraid and act in this way and sin. They were trying to get him to do something they knew was in direct violation of God's word. So they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember, Tobiah and battled. oh my God. Here's another one of these prayers according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Nuada and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Now, again, the first thing we have to understand is that what they were trying to do under the feigning of we're going to protect you was they wanted an action that violated God's word. You have to remember that. It was forbidden for a layperson to go beyond the altar of the burnt offering. Also, what we have to realize here is that there was prophets for hire; they were bought and paid for to create confusion and division. And it breaks my heart to say this, but we have this going on today. We have preachers who are not spending, who are not speaking with clarity. Some of it has to do with money. Some of it has to do with power. Some of it has to do with fear. It's not thus saith the Lord. It's, well, you know, we have to, and we're trying to, instead of allowing God's word to define us, we allow culture to define us. In Jeremiah chapter 5, if you think this is something new, we see it in Nehemiah's day. We see it today. We see it in Jeremiah's day. Nehemiah 5, verses 30 and 31. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their own direction. And here's the tragic part of this. My people love to have it so. Let me translate that for you. Their churches are the full ones. Their synagogues are the ones. Everybody's showing up because... They're telling them what they want to hear. Now, that doesn't mean if you have a large church that you're tickling people's ears. That's not what that means. It does mean this, that as a religious leader, you can actually attract a large group of people and be viewed as successful and really not saying anything in terms of what God has said. We live in a culture that worships power and money. And we've adopted religious versions of this and have bowed down to these idols rather than humbly submitting at the feet of Jesus. And sometimes we just do it out of fear. We're in fear of what may happen to us. Well, if strategy one didn't work and strategy two didn't work and strategy three didn't work, they come up with a fourth strategy. Look at verses 15 through 19. It's we will not give up. Sorry about that. Computer happens if I don't type in that. We will not give up. It's not we will no give up. We will not give up. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu in 52 days. Did you get that? That's the important part of this passage. Everything that came against them, all the strategies, all the enemies from the outside, all the enemies from the inside, everything was going on in their own hearts. The wall and the gates were set in place in 52 days. Nehemiah helped Israel do in 52 days what they couldn't do in 120 years prior to this. But it was a tough road. And the tough road doesn't quit. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us, get the words, we're what? They were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. That simply means, you know what? They start saying, oh boy, we're not as important as we thought we were. We're not as strong as we thought we were. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Here's my heart for GBC that when people from the outside look at what's going on in here what they don't see is attractive what they don't see is an attractive sunday morning service and they say wow you know i want to go there because they do things really well i want to see a work of god that is so strong and so powerful they sit back and they come because they said you know what i know those people there they couldn't have pulled this off it had to be god thing i mean that's what's in my heart And that's what happened here. Because in 52 days, they did something they couldn't do in 120 years. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. Now, you got that. These are the higher uppers in Israel. And Tobiah's letters came to them. So they're crossing letters. Modern day language, they start tweeting each other. Okay? That's what they're doing. For many in Judah were bound by an oath to him. That's to Tobiah. Why? Because he was the son-in-law. Ouch. See what happened here? These people that had vested interest in not rebuilding the wall had intermarried with Israel, violated a direct command of God. And because of those family relationships, these people chose family over truth. He was the son-in-law, of Shekinah, the son of Arab, and the son of Jehon. He was taken daughter of Methuselah, the son of Barakiah, as his wife. And note what they said here. They also spoke of his good deeds in my presence. Nehemiah, you know, Tobias really not as bad as you think he is. He really wants to help. He wants to be on your side. And reported my words to him. Nehemiah didn't say that in return. And Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. So even though the wall was built, what kept happening? Turmoil from the outside in, inside out, and there was this pressure, this constant pressure, day in and day out, on Nehemiah to quit, to stop. But the wall was finished. It took almost two months, working twenty-four-seven except for the Sabbath. They worked under constant threats. Constant hunger, constant struggle with despair, constant gossip and rumors. And while the work was going forward, every else, everything else seemed like it was falling apart. This was Nehemiah's picture of success. It's not how we view success, is it? But it's not over. In chapter seven, if you take time to read it this week, it's about beginning to rebuild their houses. Then the rest of the book is about rebuilding their worship and their identity. And while they do this, the pressure keeps coming. And yet God's glory is displayed, and people sit back and say, Wow, this has to be a God thing because you know what? They laid in ruin for 120 years. Nehemiah can't pull this off. These people can't pull this off. I think back to a time about Moses. And when you read Moses as a leader, it was pretty rough, wasn't it? He was reluctant. <laughs> He didn't want the job. There was a lot of other people that didn't want him to have the job. I think of Korah one day who came with 250 people complaining about his leadership. And he had him stand over here and God says, let me deal with this. The ground opened up, swallowed everybody and closed back. And you would think that nobody else would complain. But there was 14,700 who did not like the way Moses handled Korah. I'm like, get real. God dealt with it. Most is, Moses didn't. But you see all this problem and all this. But at the very end, Moses was almost godlike. In fact, God buried him where no one would find him because they were afraid that they would dig his bones up and worship his bones. New leader steps up. His name's Joshua. He takes over. Listen to what Joshua says in Joshua 1, verses 8 and 9. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth. Remember, he was one of the spies that said, we need to go in. Ten said no. Two said yes. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that it may be, that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. So here he is taking leadership position. In one of his first speeches, what does he say? Here's this. You better pay attention to it. You better make it part of your life. You better listen to what it says. Only one email now, on that one? Come on. Remember, holler back. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have a good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let me kind of conclude with three lessons this morning. Here's the first. Know what's at stake. Know what's at stake. You know, in Nehemiah's time, it was just not a wall. It just was not their homes. But it was a nation of people who were called to worship the one True living God in such a way that his name would be glorified, they become the witness nation, and other people would bow down to this God because they realized he was the one true God. That's what was at stake. So when you find yourself in situations that calls for you to take the lead, please understand what is at stake. For some of you, it might be a marriage. For others, it might be family. For others, it might be a stranger who needs someone to come alongside of. Could be a reputation. Could be the work of the church. So when you talk about taking the lead, know what is at stake. Number two, do not forget where your help comes from. Have you ever noticed that we often try to fix it ourselves before we go to God? And how many times do we let fear control us? And how many times do we let our attitudes define us? And how many times do we believe all the lies around us and we give up? And how many times do we set our plan in place and say, God, bless this, because I'm on a mission. Where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. It comes from the God God Almighty. And so, do we believe that God will provide? Do we realize the greatest thing that God gives us is Himself? Here's the third then you do not have to feel courageous to act courageous. One of the defining marks of any leader is courage a willingness to step into something that is larger than you, to take the hits, to pay the price, to face the opposition. Now, Nehemiah needed a lot of people to step up and act with courage, and they did, and it was a heavy cost, but they knew what was at stake. They knew whose God they were, and I have to think about courage today to be the church. Not to be a church, but to be the church. Are we willing to do what it takes to love Jesus? Now, we can sit there and say yes, but do you understand the cost of that statement? Are we willing to do what it takes to love his church? Do we understand what is at stake? Are we part of rebuilding or are we part of opposition to rebuilding? Now, we're going to take some time to reflect on these questions and other things that God, through his spirit, has been communicating to us. It's always fascinating to me what God speaks to in our minds and our hearts. Sometimes it has nothing to do with this. But he just kind of knocks on our head and says, listen, pay attention. I'm speaking. So all those who are going to lead us, I'm asking them to come up. And as they come up, I want to talk about starting points. All this leadership, all this God stuff I'm talking about, the starting point, if you're here, of course, if you're going to rebuild your life, begins with Jesus. And there are some that are here this morning that they have never made that commitment. They never made that step forward to say, you know what? I've been living out in the wilderness. I've been living my own way. I've been kind of tragically just tearing my life apart. And I want to make that commitment. I want to enter into Christ's family. I want to learn what it means to love Jesus. And if you're here this morning and that's your heart desire, I want you to stand up. Because we're going to have someone meet with you. There's one young man. There's two, three. Okay. Just stay standing. And uh, I see Greg going around the back. There goes Tim. Okay. Just go to the back with Greg, and we're going to put some people with you. Is there anyone else? They're going to talk to you about this, and they're going to pray with you. Okay. I see some others going. That's good. You gonna applaud again. Now, I'm serious about this because we need to pray for these men because you know what happens this week. Who's not happy? The angel of light. And he's going to try to do everything and anything to cause them to regret this decision. And he has people from the outside, and he has some people from the inside. And he has some things going on in their own lives that he will use. So, really, just spend time praying for these men this week as they're willing to give their lives to Christ. Let me pray, and then we're going to worship. Father God, take all this, uh, use it for your glory. We realize that most of the times we're a mess, we don't get it right. Help us to follow your lead. And not ask for you to follow our lead. Teach us in our situations Lord. What it means to stand up. And to keep our eyes on you the author and finisher of our faith. In the name of your son we pray and everyone said. Amen.